0: It's the 12th of July in the year of our salvation, 2008, and you're back with Father Z and another podcast. Today we welcome as our guest Father Justin Nolan of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter. He speaks with us about the Motu Proprio sumorum Pontificum and about the new training DVD which the fraternity has produced together with EWTN. Then I drill into one of the comments Father Nolan makes about the importance of having the Blessed Sacrament come into contact only with things which are consecrated. Today I'm talking with Father Justin Nolan of the Fraternity of Saint Peter. Uh, he's very kindly consented to talk uh, for a little while today uh, over the phone. And um, uh, Father, tell me a little bit about yourself. I understand you're you're fairly newly ordained.
1: Yes, I was uh, ordained on May 30th, just this past year, on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, by uh, His Eminence Cardinal Castrión Hoyos at the uh, Cathedral of the Risen Christ in Lincoln. And Cardinal Castrion was uh, very gracious to come over from Rome on the uh, occasion of the 20th anniversary of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter and do our priestly ordinations this year. So it was my privilege to be ordained by his eminence um, just uh, just a few weeks ago.
0: Is that the Mass that was broadcast on EWTN? It is, yes.
1: EWTN uh, were uh, also, again, very gracious and... Um, I'm uh, very happy to uh, broadcast this uh, rather momentous uh, event. It's not every day. You get uh, a, a high ranking prelate of the uh, of the church on American soil to to do priestly ordinations, especially in this particular event you have um, the very individual whom the Holy Father has nominated to be the one who uh, kind of implements the recent motu proprio Samoan Pontificum doing ordinations in the extraordinary form. Uh, or the of Attorney of St. Peter, whom, as you know, are uh, entrusted with the uh, the uh, extraordinary going all the way back to 1988.
0: Yes, I worked on that in that office in Ecclesia Dei for for some years, and remember those I remember those early years of of trying to get the Commission's work going. Uh, of course, it's a whole different ballgame now with Summorum Pontificum, isn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: With uh, Summorum Pontificum, uh, now that a year has passed since the text was released, uh, I think we all remember that very, very happy day on the 7th of July in 2007 when the public publicly the text was released. We've got about a year since it, the text is out, and what about nine months, I suppose, since it's been in force. What kind of observations can you make about the implementation of the document now that a year has passed?
1: Well, I would say uh, from my own personal experience, uh, the, uh, most of my observations come from the work that I've been doing in the uh, Fraternity of St. Peter over the past year. Uh, I was assigned to work uh, with the priest training program that the uh, fraternity began in uh, June of last year, even before the proprio came out. Our Superior General, Father Berg, I think in anticipation of such a document, even though we didn't know what the contents were going to be, he anticipated that there would be a need for training on the part of priests, and so he wanted to, uh, the, the Fraternity of St. Peter to uh, perform that service for the Church in educating priests and how to say the uh, what we then called the, uh, the traditional Latin Mass. So I was assigned to work on that as part of my uh, diaconal apostolate, and we did our first sessions in June of last year, just before the Monta proprio came out. We trained uh, 30 priests over the course of the month of June. And then after the Modo Proprio came out, we had a a dramatic increase in the number of inquiries on the part of priests. We did another uh, two or three training sessions later in the fall semester and then another uh, three sessions in the spring semester. And all told, in the past year, we've trained in excess of 100, I think we are right around 120 priests now that we've trained at the seminary. Uh, representing over 70 dioceses, well,
0: 70 uh,
1: dioceses,
0: most of them from the United diocese. States.
1: <laughs> most from the United States. In fact, actually, I think all from the United States. I don't think we've had some inquiries from Canada, uh, but I don't think we've had any attendees yet. But it's pretty much across the globe. In fact, I've got a map in my office back at seminary that shows all of the uh, locations from all of the priests that have attended, and it's pretty much. Uh, just kind of a blanket wash across the entire U.S. Um, there's no particular diocese that seems to have expressed more interest than another. It's just really uh, priests uh, everywhere who have been longing uh, for the opportunity. And uh, they all come and they all say the same thing. We're so grateful that you're doing this work. Please keep doing this work. Uh, we're so happy uh, that we have this finally this permission. I remember even before the moto proprio came out, we got phone calls right after we'd sent out the initial press release in fact actually before the press release went out uh someone had leaked uh on a blog site somewhere uh that we were going to be doing these training sessions and we had already almost filled up all of our june slots before the even initial press release had gone out so there was uh, it was it was obvious right from the very beginning that there was a considerable interest on the part of priests and when they came they were very very receptive uh to everything that we had uh, uh, to say we didn't know exactly what we were going to get in the beginning. We thought, you know, are we just going to get uh, priests that are skeptical or critical or curious or, you know, what kind of priests are these going to be? And we found that all of them were extraordinarily zealous uh, for uh, the extraordinary form, for the Latin Mass, but mostly for the liturgy. They wanted to celebrate a holy and reverent liturgy, and so they were attracted to the extraordinary form, uh, I think, precisely for those for those reasons, that they felt that this is uh, a liturgy which gives them the opportunity to celebrate the Mass in a holy and worthy form, without having to uh, kind of uh, make things up, as it were, or um, risk uh, getting in in trouble with their bishop or in their diocese if we're trying to do things that perhaps might be considered inventive or um, too conservative in terms of, uh, of the way that the, the Novus Ordo was oftentimes celebrated. So uh, they wanted to uh, introduce the extraordinary form in their, in their parish because it, it, it afforded them the opportunity to uh, celebrate a Mass where basically they don't have to um, make any decisions. Everything's already pretty much established. And sure. uh, what we what found is that priests, when they began to celebrate the extraordinary form, all of a sudden, it, it transformed their perception of the priesthood.
0: Yes, um, this was, is something like a
1: revelation for them.
0: This is something that I've written about very often on the blog and in my articles in the Wanderer. Um, so many young priests that I've talked to who have learned to say the older form of Mass, they, they tell me invariably that once they learn how to say the older form of Mass, they never say the Novus Ordo the same way after that.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's been your experience true. too. Yeah, the, the priests, they, they, the, we've, we've sent out feedback forms after afterwards, the priests that have attended. Um, most of them go on to actually uh, learn the Mass completely because we can't, a week is not enough time to, to train someone in the uh, extraordinary form uh, and have them saying the Mass, you know, confidently at the end of the week. They have to go back home and put the effort in and practice. And most of them do. We, we sent out a survey just recently and we discovered that over 80% of the attendees Uh, have gone back, they've they've, uh, learned the Mass and have implemented uh, the extraordinary form in their parishes and are saying the Mass on a regular basis. And they say it's had an extraordinarily transforming effect on the way that not only that they approach the liturgy, but on the way that they uh, even look at their own priesthood. Uh, Because the extraordinary form, the liturgical principles which are embodied therein, um, they're, they're universal. They're universal principles. You have uh, the liturgy is for God primarily. It's the, it's the debt of worship that we owe to God. And we pay that debt uh, through our worship to him. And by doing so, we then, in, in consequence of that, gain the graces that our Lord merited for us on the cross. So uh, what the priest does at the altar is of paramount importance. And I think that uh, a lot of priests... Um, they come to that realization or they come to a more concrete realization of that uh, reality through the extraordinary form. And so it naturally spills over into everything else that they do. Their whole priestly ministry is kind of enlivened and fed uh, by uh, the manner in which they celebrate Holy Mass. And so it's only natural that it would change the way that they celebrate the Novus Ordo when they come to a greater realization of what it means not just to celebrate Mass but what it means to be a priest to be an altar Christus, to be himself uh, a sacrificial victim on the part of the people, interceding like Moses on Mount Sinai, speaking to God in a, in a holy and sacred language, and by doing so, bringing down uh, from the mountain uh, all of the graces that our Lord wishes to uh, to shower down on his people through the instrumentality of the priest. And the importance of the priest and his uh, paramount uh, centrality in the liturgy uh, and is 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 brought uh, home in a much more concrete, much more uh, sensible manner in uh, in the way that the extraordinary form is uh, celebrated, the way that it was designed uh, from the very beginning to be celebrated. And priests discover that as they learn it, and they go back home to their parishes and uh, and people notice. People uh, say we had one priest. He said he was very nervous. When he first uh, said the extraordinary form in his parish, he wasn't sure, you know, how it was going to be received. Uh, but it was received very well. He, he was expecting maybe 100 people or so to show up on a Friday night, and I think he got over two or three hundred people that showed up. And um, they were all very, very uh, positive uh, in terms of how they react to the mass. They said, you know, why can't uh, we? Can't, why can't we have more masses like this? And they noticed the change in their priest. They noticed that uh, Father is all of a sudden you know, doing things differently at the altar, he seems like uh it's it's much more reverent. And um, so it it uh it seems to be having a very positive effect and I think that's precisely what the Holy Father was looking for when he um, implemented or, or issued the motor proprio. It wasn't so much he just wanted to restore an older form of the mass. Uh as Cardinal Hoyos, uh, Castrian Hoyos has said so many times, uh it's a spiritual and theological richness. It's the treasury of uh, grace that the Holy Father wants to give back to the Church. And so it's not just Old Mass, New Mass. It's here is a treasure which the Church uh, has drawn grace forth from for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's no less sanctifying now than it was, you know, say, 100 years ago or 50 years ago. And priests can still draw graces from this Mass, and so he wants to restore this treasure to the Church, not to placate a bunch of grumpy traditionalists or to try to promote uh, reconciliation with groups that are outside the Church. Um, That might be a consequence, uh, hopefully a desired consequence, but the primary goal, the primordial goal, as Cardinal Castrian Hoyas puts it, is to restore to the Church a treasure. And I think it's primarily a treasure that priests, uh, will benefit from, uh, at least primarily, uh, in terms of uh, they'll be the first ones, and then once they benefit of that treasure, then they can bring it to the laity as well. And uh, the reaction that we have seen on the part of priests, over and over and over again, priests come to our training session and they say, um, all of a sudden I have a much deeper understanding of my priesthood. I, yeah. I feel like now I know what it means to be a priest. I feel like a brand-new priest, one priest said to me after the training was over. He said, I feel like a brand-new ordained priest, like I've just come off retreat. And they're going to carry that with them when they go back to their parishes, and the faithful see the difference, their fellow priests see the difference. And uh, that seems to me, uh, anyway, to be the the primary effect of the moda proprio. is it's a re- reaffirmation of what it means to be a priest, the identity of the priesthood. There's a a crisis of identity in the priesthood right now. Priests don't know who they are, don't know what they're supposed to be. Either they haven't been told, they haven't been formed. Um, They get up on the altar and they feel like they have to entertain, like they have to connect with the people. And so you've got this constant um, focus on trying to keep people involved And, and priests, tell us this. Uh, They they say, you know, I I love the Old Mass, I love saying the extraordinary form, because I I feel like I don't have to be Julia Child up on the altar. You know, I just, I I talk to God, and um, I don't have to worry about anything else except what I'm saying to our Lord at the altar.
0: Now, of course, one of the the, uh, uh, very obvious differences in the, the celebration of the Older Mass compared to the way the Newer Mass is actually being celebrated in most places is the ad orientum celebration yes and um, the priest uh, if he's constantly facing the people you know there's a there's a, a psychological dimension to that you 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 start making eye contact with more people you you watch their reactions to what you're doing uh, slowly but surely it's possible to erode the priest's focus on, on what he yeah, is yeah. actually doing however Now, uh, that ad orientem uh, worship is certainly uh, able to be used in the Novus Ordo as well. Uh, Latin can be used, ad orientem uh, worship, traditional vestments and so forth. What do you think are the elements of the older Mass which really distinguish it from these other, uh, shall we say, more visible or more manifest things that can also be done with the Novus Ordo?
1: I would say um, there are probably four things uh, that are of um, that are probably the most critical differences, and all four are not actually specific to the extraordinary form. All four of these things could be implemented in the ordinary form. It's just that in so many cases they're not, and I'll, I'll tell you what those are. The first is ad orientem. I think that's uh, one of the most paramount things. The priest is talking to God every time he says Mass. He is primarily speaking to uh, to God in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son. And so reorienting the priest so that the focus is on our Lord in the Mass, I think that's of paramount uh, importance. The other thing is having the tabernacle in the center. Uh, when you have the tabernacle in the center of the church, here we're presuming that we're in a parish setting. Obviously, things are different if it's a cathedral church or if it's a basilica. We're talking about a, a pope or a bishop. That's a different situation. But in your, in your ordinary parish church, the tabernacle should be in the center. Why? Because the priest is the captain of the ship. He's leading his flock towards a goal, and he himself must be oriented towards that goal, uh, or he can't expect that the faithful are going to be oriented towards uh, that goal either. The third thing I would say is communion, kneeling on the tongue. Um, that's still, that communion in the hand is only uh, by way of indult. It's still the proper uh, way to receive communion. Uh, the universal norm for receiving communion is communion, kneeling, and on the tongue. And I think this, that is an external sign uh, not only of reverence, uh, oftentimes people say that, you know, well, it's more reverent to kneel and receive on the tongue, and I think that that's true. But I think the more fundamental and the more primary uh, reason for that is because nothing in the extraordinary form ever comes into contact with the sacred host, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that hasn't first been consecrated. That is a fundamental liturgical principle, which is unfortunately so often uh forgotten the priest's hands are consecrated the vessels used at the altar are consecrated and the tongue of the faithful in the traditional rite of baptism is also consecrated when the priest uh sprinkles the salt on the on the mouth of the child that was seen as being the consecration uh of the organ that would be be receiving uh the body of Christ so there's this kind of uh harmony, this, this organic integrity that nothing ever touches the Blessed Sacrament which has not been set apart for that purpose. And so it, it, it even further uh, drives home the, uh, the great mystery that's involved, the great sacrality uh, and the holiness of that which uh, comes into contact with our Lord is never profane. It's always sacred and has been set aside for a sacred purpose. And uh, and finally, the fourth thing I think is just an extension of that is the fact that only the priest handles uh, the sacred vessels and touches the things that pertain directly to the Blessed Sacrament because his hands are consecrated. Uh, And I found in my own personal experience in going through seminary that the closer I got to the altar, the closer that I got to touching the actual Blessed Sacrament, um, the more I had to make a stronger act of faith in the Blessed Sacrament. And so I think that when we when we give kind of just um, blanket permission for anybody to touch the Blessed Sacrament or for anybody to handle the sacred vessels, um, the old principle of familiarity breeds contempt begins to creep in, and it's much much harder I think for the faithful to maintain uh, a true sense of the sacred when they're treating uh, or when they're able to just you know handle the sacred vessels as they would handle cups and plates and glasses at home. The priest has a special grace of state that's specific to him. He has the grace um, to be able to make those necessary acts of faith. But um, you know, people that are that are that are busy in the world, it's, I think it's harder for them. And so, when the priest is the only one who uh, touches and deals with the, the things that pertain to the altar, it reinforces that sense of mystery, that sense of sacredness, that sense of holiness, that sense that. You know, what is the priest? The priest is the intercessor. He's the one who speaks to God on behalf of the people, and the people tremble to draw near to the altar, as does the priest, but he trembles and yet knows at the same time that he has been ordained for this purpose, and so he, he uh, approaches even though uh, he is aware of his own unworthiness. And that, does, that not only helps the people understand the sacredness and the reverence involved, but it helps the priest it reinforces his own perception of um, just how sacred and holy these mysteries are and that he himself will treat them with greater reverence uh, and greater awe because he has been set apart, his hands have been consecrated, he's been ordained uh, by the church, chosen, called from among men to this holy and sacred office. And all of those things that are present in the extraordinary form by means of the rubrics they're not. You can do that in the ordinary form. It's just that in so many cases, it's not done. Um, and oftentimes, it's not done not on the part of any malice on the part of the priest. It's just because they don't know. They haven't been taught. They were never formed. They were never told about these things. And we tell them about these things when they come to, uh, to be trained. And uh, for many of them, it's a complete revelation. And all of a sudden, they realize, hey, that makes sense. Um, all of a sudden, now I have this greater appreciation for what my priesthood is about, and this is what I want. This is the reason why I became a priest um, and so it has a transforming effect um, on their whole priesthood and it's only natural that they would then begin to incorporate some of these elements in the ordinary form and that I think is the legacy of, of the Holy Father Pope benedict the sixteenth um, when when uh, God willing he'll be with us for a very long time but when it comes time for him to depart this earth, I don't think he will be known for the, being the Pope who restored the old liturgy to the church he's going to be the Pope who is known for restoring the identity of the priest and the, the sacredness of the priesthood he will give the priesthood back to the church and we're going to have um, a huge increase in, in vocations I think uh, precisely because of, of his leadership and that he will teach priests, once again, what it means to be a priest. And he's going to do it through uh, the liturgy, through the, uh, by reforming the ordinary form, by uh, reintroducing the extraordinary form, whatever means is necessary to uh, get a really true sense of the, of the sacred and often character of the priesthood and to, um, to fix this, this, this crisis in the clergy that we've been enduring for the past 20, 30 years. I think that's really that's the goal of the motu proprio. Uh, it's, it's really less about the, the, the form, the rite, and it's more about the priesthood itself, the essence of the priesthood.
0: Would you say that, that Pope Benedict uh, has a, a broader vision than a, a plan, shall we say, to, to uh, change the identity of the priesthood, at least as it's being uh, uh, taught in formation and, and perhaps uh, lived by those who are already ordained?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, you can see that from as soon as he took office, one of the first things he did was, was he uh, um, uh, did the uh, seminary investigations. He wanted to know, you know, what exactly is going on in the seminaries. And, um, and then just uh, recently with the, with the moto Proprio, now there's rumors that he's going to be uh, making some changes to the ordinary form. We don't know what those will be. But obviously, all of this points to um, a revitalization of the clergy, Uh, I was just actually at a retirement center for a bunch of Jesuit priests. Uh, They were all in the infirmary. Uh, Most of them were uh, not even able to get out of wheelchairs. They must have all been in their late 80s and early 90s. And they were all so excited to see me uh, when I showed up to give them my first blessing as a newly ordained priest. Um, You know, here I'm barely uh, 30 years old, and... um, they probably haven't seen a priest as young as myself in quite some time, and uh, one of them was my great uncle. He introduced me as as his grand recently ordained. and when he said that, I heard one of the priests murmur, "Well, it's nice to hear they're still ordaining priests." yeah so um, that I think is uh, the goal of the, of the uh, of the Holy Father is to revitalize the priesthood.
0: Yeah. Now, tell me, uh, part of part of the work, obviously, that the Fraternity of Saint Peter has taken on then is to is to uh, amplify uh, Pope Benedict's vision and plan by helping to train priests and uh, in the older form, and and of course uh, bring some of these great insights that you're sharing with the listeners right now. Um, obviously, you're putting together some training materials. I heard about this uh, wonderful DVD that you're going to be producing uh, together with EWTN. Uh, could you speak very briefly about that and uh, let the listeners know what that's all about, and maybe how tell priests how they can get a copy?
1: yes the uh the d v d project is something that was kind of born out of the priest training that we were doing at the seminary. uh We had all these priests coming to the seminary to learn how to be trained and after the week was over, they all said the exact same thing you know that was really good that was fantastic we loved it, but you know we'd like something that um uh, we can use when we get back home because, you know, we, we go back to our parishes. We're very, very busy, you know. So if you could record everything that you just did and send it to us on DVD so that we could watch it over and over and over again, and then that would really help us uh, when we're practicing so that we could learn the mass much more quickly. And uh, so they all, they all basically said the same thing. We want a DVD. We want a DVD. We want a DVD. So we took a look at a lot of the DVDs that were out there on the market, uh, that purported to train priests how to say the Old Mass, and they were good, but they all had certain um, you know, flaws, and priests had used them in the past, and they said, well, it was really, really good, except that um, every time uh, the priest was just getting to a real critical point, all of a sudden the camera moved away, and I was looking at a, you know, the back of a chasuble or uh, a stained glass window, and I couldn't see what the priest's hands were doing. Or um, One video, uh, the the one that's put out by the SSPX by uh, Father Guttler, which in my opinion is is very, very good. I think it's the best of the ones that's out there right now. Um, He's explaining the Mass as he goes through it and so uh, you get a good good instruction in terms of what to do but it's hard to see the continuity of all of the actions uh, because he's constantly having to stop and explain what he's about to do and so you don't see uh, the continuity. So we wanted to address all of the uh, shortcomings of all the videos that were out there. So EWTN was very gracious to collaborate with us um, in in producing a professional quality uh, video. Uh, We shot the footage down at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville at Mother Angelica Shrine. So we had this wonderful, beautiful gold setting with this uh, beautiful high altar. And uh, there's two sections to the DVD. One is instructional and then one is for review. So that way uh, you get a full... Uh, two-hour walkthrough, step-by-step step, through every part of the Mass, explaining in detail all the, the gestures and movements. But then in the second section of the DVD, you have a real-time Mass filmed from four simultaneous camera angles. So it's just like the priest is there in the sanctuary, and he can click on whatever camera angle he wants to look at, and he can see what the priest is doing from all these different angles. He can see where the server is, uh, so that at any point in the Mass he can see comprehensively what's going on uh, and then that way, after he's mastered the first part uh, with the explanation and demonstration, then he's got something that he can use for, for practice.
0: Is so, this for low
1: mass? This is for low mass. Um, unfortunately, we only had three days, uh, each, uh, gracious enough, to three full days. We had a full crew of about eight people, four cameramen, two sound guys, a couple of production engineers, and a producer were all at our disposal for three full days So we basically filmed as much as we could do in those three days, which was the entire uh, rite of low mass, as well as six of the most common variations in the mass. So in addition to getting the full uh, low mass of of the priest, you also get what do you do if you have to consecrate hosts in a ciborium? What if you have to distribute Holy Communion? What if there's not a Gloria? What if there's not a Creed? What if you have to preach a sermon or a homily? And what if you're saying Mass and you don't have a server? You know, what if you're saying Mass for a bunch of nuns and you have to do a lot of the gestures that the server would do? So all of these different variations that are commonly occurred in offering the Mass, those are all covered. And we also have a very comprehensive section on the underlying principles of gesture and movement. So uh, the kind of the basics of the liturgy. How do you hold your hands? what are the tones of voice, how do you do a uh, proper genuflection, what are the different kinds of bows of the head and of the body, when do they occur, and so forth. So we've got a, a full 30-minute, 30-45-minute uh, section just on principles. There's also a talk uh, by Father Calvin Goodwin on the extraordinary form, uh, introducing priests to the extraordinary form and talking a little bit about the, uh, the overarching principles that govern the liturgy. And we've also got, as a very special uh, commendation from uh, the Holy See itself, Cardinal Castrian Hoyos very generously and graciously volunteered to give the introduction to the DVD. So he has about a 10-minute introduction that he gives to the DVD explaining, um, first he starts out by talking about the moto proprio, what the Holy Father has in mind, why he uh, promulgated the motu proprio, and then he also expresses his... Um, thanks to EWTN uh, for their collaboration on this project in making uh, possible to priests uh, the knowledge of how to say the extraordinary form. So the goal of the video... uh,
0: Father, how will people be be able to get this DVD?
1: Well, thanks to the gracious uh, offices of Keep the Faith Incorporated, it's being offered free of charge to any priest and any seminarian that wants uh, a copy all they have to do is go to our website, which is www.fsspdvd.com, and they can register to receive a uh, free copy, which will be sent to them in the mail uh, as soon as the uh, video is released, which we hope, 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 hope that it will be uh, within the next month. We've had a few uh, production delays uh, for various reasons, but um, we should be getting that DVD up. Probably sometime in August, it will be going out in the mail. So,
0: but lay people, lay people point. would be able to get this DVD and then give it to priests as gifts. Yes.
1: Absolutely. Um, we can. Um, right now, the the website is set up it's, uh, for priests to register. Um, lay uh, faithful uh, can also pre-order the video from our fraternity publications website. Um, but if they have any particular priests in mind, um, then they can simply get the, the DVD on behalf of their, their pastor and priest. Um, that's not a problem at all.
0: Well, that's great.
1: So we're hoping uh, that it will become the, uh, the tool par excellence that puts the practical knowledge necessary into the hands of the priest. Um, and I think that it will do that quite well. And um, for any priest that's interested in the extraordinary form, this is going to be um, more than training sessions, more than classes and instruction and seminars. I think this will be the tool which, which actually makes it possible for them to introduce the extraordinary form into their parish on the practical level.
0: Will there be a, a DVD, perhaps, for the other forms of mass, the Misa Cantata and the Misa Solemnis, the solemn, the high mass?
1: We certainly hope so. Um, it all depends pretty much on how well received this initial uh, DVD is. If this, if we have a, uh, uh, if it makes a big impact and, and there's uh, an obvious demand for more projects like this. That is uh, certainly something that we in the fraternity would be willing to commit the resources to. Uh, but again, we'll just have to see uh, what happens when it comes out. Personally, I think it's going to make a, a pretty big impact in the church, but um, we, we just entrust that to the grace of God. And and um, we are here to, to meet the demands of the church. The, the fraternity is at the service of the Pope, at the service of the church, and uh, if the church demonstrates that there's a need for something, then we will work to uh, to fulfill it.
0: Well father I am very grateful for uh, your time uh, I hope that maybe in the future we can do this again I bet I can come up with a lot more questions but you've been very uh, helpful in in uh, describing this d- DVD uh, some of the the wonderful principles you believe uh, are behind the holy father's uh, implementing uh, sumorum pontificum uh, some of the uh, points of of reference in uh, holy mass and who the priesthood is, who the priest is, which can enhance and, uh, and, and supplement every priest's celebration of every mass, whether it's the older form or the newer form. So thank you very much for your insights today. Uh, let's do it again, okay?
1: Absolutely. You're very welcome, Father, and thank you for the opportunity.
0: That was my interview with Father Justin Nolan of the Fraternity of St. Peter. and Father gave us uh, many good insights. I think you'll have found that as interesting as I did. Uh, the first thing to consider uh, is, of course, what he thinks, um, just as I have been saying on the WDTPRS blog and in my comments and in the, the Wanderer all this time, is that Summorum Pontificum is first and foremost a great gift priests. By de-restricting the older form of Mass, Pope Benedict also has started to reinvigorate Catholic identity. First and foremost by helping the priest understand Holy Mass better, and also who he is at the altar. Now in turn, this is going to have a real effect on parishes. People will see their priests saying Mass, even with the Novus Ordo, in a very different sense a different sense of reverence, a different sense of who they are as priests. And I can see this making a huge difference in parishes for active participation, for example, and also on vocations to the priesthood. Now another point that Father brought out is that the blessed sacrament should come into contact only with things which have been consecrated. Now this is an old tradition of the Church, it's a tradition stretching back many, many centuries, growing out of Holy Church's increasing, uh, deepening reflection on and awareness of who and what the Eucharist really is, and then implementing practices and establishing laws and rites based on these deepening theological principles. And spiritual devotion, all revolving around what and who the Blessed Sacrament is. You know, as your awareness grows of something and you deepen your understanding, well, it's going to have an effect on then how you treat that thing or person or object, um, you know, concept, whatever it's going to be. So, as the church came to a deeper understanding of the Eucharist, uh, she learned, uh, of course, that that the host and the precious blood should be in physical contact only with what is consecrated for that purpose. For example, uh, sacred vessels are consecrated, and altar cloths receive special blessings, and the priest's hands are consecrated with holy chrism during his ordination in order that he may then handle the sacred things, but principally, that they may touch the sacred host. You see, in a certain way, the consecration proportions his hands to handle that which is most sacred, including the Eucharist. Although, of course, nothing in human terms, uh, anything having to do with our our human person, was ever really proportioned to the Eucharist, which actually is that which it signifies. It is the body... Uh, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So nothing really that we have will ever be worthy to come into contact. But nevertheless, Holy Church gives this special consecration so that the priest may handle the Eucharist. Now, in uh, present day, we have in very many places uh, lay people handling sacred vessels, which have been consecrated, and lay people even going up themselves and removing the Eucharist from the tabernacle by themselves, and then touching the Eucharist when they distribute Holy Communion, and also people receiving the Eucharist in the hand. Uh, All of these things, I think, really need to be rethought. Now, Pope Benedict has changed or began a new conversation about all of this uh, in his own liturgical practice he's stimulating us to reevaluate many different things that we're doing in the church Pope Benedict has returned to distribution of Holy Communion only upon the tongue and only to people who are kneeling and so he is prompting us to uh, come to a deeper understanding and explore more deeply what sacred means and what consecrated means and who the blessed sacrament is. So Father Nolan brings out and underscores how the priest's hands are consecrated, the hands of lay people are not, and so communion should not be given in the hand. Uh, He didn't talk about that directly, it's my conclusion. But uh, of course someone could object that People's tongues are no more consecrated than their hands, so what difference would it make if they receive on the hand or the tongue, neither of them are consecrated? Now, Father Nolan points out that in the older rite of baptism, the priest would place salt that had been exercised and then blessed in the mouth of the infant or the person being baptized. Now, in a sense, the mouth of the new Christian is thereby readied also to receive the Eucharist. Remember, in times past, all three sacraments were given at once, right? Baptism, Confirmation, and Eucharist. And so there was a more concrete connection between all these gestures in our Catholic rites, especially that connection between baptism and Eucharist. It was a little bit clearer in times past, but let, let's keep drilling into this a little bit. Maybe we could look at the prayer that the priest uses to bless the salt, which must first be exercised in uh, the context of the section of the rite of baptism, which takes place at the threshold of the church, ad limen ecclesiae, Uh, this is before everybody processes then over to the entrance of the baptistry the rite of baptism has these marvelous moments where you move into the church and then across the threshold and then to the baptistry and then into the baptistry it's all very symbolic so let's listen to some of this rite we can give a Uh, name to the person who would be baptized in here, so I could slide it in here. Uh, Old moral theology used to talk about uh, fictional people like Titius and Sempronius, Uh, so uh, I'll use the name Sempronius so that you can catch uh, when it is actually the person's name being used. It's a little bit of an unusual name. We don't have too many Semproni around now, so listen for the name Sempronius. I'm just going to read through the right and to listen to the language And be uh, mindful that uh, when I get to, for example, the blessing and the exorcism of the salt and the blessing, the exorcism of the person to be baptized, in this case it's going to be an infant, that uh, certain sections uh, of the rite were always to be done in Latin, even though in the ritual book there's Latin and English side by side, and the priest had permission to read some of the rites of baptism in English, there were certain things then that were left, just simply left, in Latin, including the actual formula of baptism itself. I mean, this is the important thing about Latin because it it conveys something which translations uh, lose pieces of, and so if you're going, if you really believe that your rites of sacraments do something then the language that you use is really important. And all religions have a sacred language, don't they? And so in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, we use Latin as Roman members of the Roman Rite. So let's dig into this section of the old Rite of Baptism, as it was before the Council, and as it can be used again, uh, according to Summorum Pontificum, we are at the section called Ad Limen Ecclesiae, at the entrance of the church and i'll take you up to the point where then we would go in toward the baptistry and keep your ears tuned to how the priest asks uh, for example what the person desires in all of this and the answer which is going to be made by godparents in most situations is faith not baptism as it is in the newer rite, and also listen to how the priest addresses the salt directly as if it were a sentient being. This is very interesting stuff. The priest meets the people with the infant to be baptized at the entrance of the church and he greets them saying Peace be with you. What is your name? And the godparents respond Sympronius The priest continues. Sympronius, what do you ask of the church of God? And the godparents respond, Faith. What does faith offer you? Everlasting life. If then, it is life that you wish to enter. Keep the commandments. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, and with your whole soul, and with your whole mind, and l- love your neighbor as you love yourself. Then the priest breathes on the face of the infant three times, and he says once, Depart from him, unclean spirit, and give place to the Holy Spirit, the Consoler. And then he makes the sign of the cross on the forehead and on the breast of the infant, saying, Receive the sign of the cross on your forehead and in your heart. Have faith in the teachings of God, and live in such a way that from now on you may be enabled to be a temple of God. Let us pray. O Lord, we implore thee, in thy kindness hear our prayers, and guard with unfailing power this thy chosen Sempronius. Who has been stamped with the seal of the Lord's cross, so that, holding fast to the first truths he has learned of thy great glory, he may, by keeping thy commandments, attain to the glory of rebirth through Christ our Lord. And all respond, Amen. Then the priest puts his hand on the head of the infant, and with his hand uh, reaching out, he says, Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, be pleased to look upon this thy servant Sempronius, whom in thy goodness thou hast called to be instructed in the faith. Rid him of all blindness of heart. Break all the nets of Satan, which he has been entangled. Open to him, Lord, the gate of thy mercy, so that penetrated by the sign of thy wisdom, salt, He may be rid of the stench and of all evil desires, and moved by the pleasing fragrance of thy teachings, may joyfully serve thee in thy church, and daily advance in perfection, through Christ our Lord. Amen. At this point, the priest begins the blessing of the salt, and the blessing of the salt starts with an exorcism. At this point the priest then must bless the salt which begins with an exorcism Exorcizote Creatura Salis O Salt, creature of God, I exorcise you in the name of God the Father Almighty and in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the strength of the Holy Spirit, I exercise you by the living God, the true God, the holy God, the God who brought you into being to safeguard the human race and commanded you to be consecrated by his servants for the benefit of those who are coming into the faith, so that by the power of the Holy Trinity you might become a health-giving sacrament To put the enemy to flight. Therefore we beg thee, O Lord our God, To sanctify by thy power of sanctification This salt which thou hast created, And to bless it with thy blessing, So that it may become a perfect medicine For all who receive it, And may remain always in every fiber of their being, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will come to judge the living and the dead and the world at Amen. Then the priest puts a little salt into the infant's mouth, saying, Sempronius, receive the salt of wisdom. May it win for you mercy and forgiveness and life everlasting. Amen. Peace be with you, and with your spirit. Let us pray. God of our fathers, God the author of all truth, we humbly implore thee to look with favor on this servant Sempronius, and grant that he who is now tasting this salt as his first nourishment may not hunger much longer before he is given the fill of heavenly food, so that he may always be ardent of soul, rejoicing in hope and ever loyal to thy name. Bring him, O Lord, we ask thee, to the font of the new birth, so that in company with thy faithful servants he may gain the eternal rewards that thou hast promised, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Then the priest continues with exercising the infant, which is of course done in Latin spiritus I exercise you, unclean spirit, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come forth, depart from this servant of God, Sempronius, for he commands you, spirit accursed and damned, he who walked upon the sea and extended his right hand to Peter as he was sinking. Therefore, accursed devil, acknowledge your condemnation and pay homage to the true and living God. Pay homage to Jesus Christ, his Son, and to the Holy Spirit, and depart from this servant of God, Sempronius. For Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, has called him to his holy grace and blessing, and to the font of baptism. Then he traces on the forehead of the infant the sign of the cross 3 times saying never dare accursed devil to violate this sign of the holy cross which we are making upon his forehead through Christ our lord Then he places his hand on the head of the infant, and with his hand outstretched he says, O holy Lord, almighty Father, eternal God, source of light and truth, I ask for this thy servant Sempronius, thy fatherly love, eternal and most just, so that thou mayest be pleased to enlighten him with the light of thy understanding. Cleanse and sanctify him, grant him true knowledge, so that he, having been made fit for the grace of thy baptism, may retain unwavering hope, true judgment, and a sacred teaching through Christ our Lord. Amen. Then the priest takes the end of his stole and he puts it uh, over the infant, introducing him into the church, bringing him into the church, saying. Sempronius, enter the temple of God so that you may take part with Christ in everlasting life. Amen. And from that point, uh, they continue to the baptismal font. We need a recovery of the sense of the sacred, don't we? we must recover the sense of the sacred and we have to do this in our rites. Our rites and practices reflect what we believe. There's a reciprocal relationship between how we pray and what we believe. Change our prayer and you change our faith. Now these older rites express many things which really have been lost in the newer forms of the rites but with the recovery not only of the greater awareness of the riches of the older forms of holy mass and the sacraments and the blessings for example the language of the blessings as well as their use now in parishes we have a wonderful opportunity in holy church to catechize the faithful in the very deepest and most efficacious way of catechism that is bringing them into contact with mystery with jesus christ in action He is the one who's the true actor and speaker in the rites of Holy Church. The content of the prayer isn't just things, words that we can learn or memorize or study or parse or translate or whatever. The content of the prayers and of the gestures really is Jesus Christ. So our rites outwardly express what we believe. We believe that they affect certain things as well and it's Christ who's acting through his uh, human instrument the priest. Remember too that Summorum Pontificum states that pastors can use the older form of all of these rites for sacraments and for blessings and so forth from the Rituali Romanum. They can do it for all the sacraments and blessings And it seems to me that when we start making a comparison between the older forms of blessings and sacraments, the choice becomes rather more clear, perhaps, what we should be opting to use. Take just for example the issue of blessings. Holy Church always had a distinction between constitutive blessings and invocative blessings. Now an invocative blessing, as the name implies, calls down God's blessing upon someone, but a constitutive blessing makes the thing itself a blessed thing. Now stop to consider the ramifications of that. You know, our Lord in the Gospels says that this world has its prince, and everything that is in the world after this break in creation Uh, this wound to creation that came from the fall of man to a certain extent the enemy of our soul has domination over all the things of the world and in order to pull them away from the devil so that they can be properly used for god's service and only for god alone we need really to drive the devil away from them drive him out, drive him away we need to rip those things away from the control of the prince of this world and hand them over to the king and so some things need to be exercised before they are used in sacred rites in the old days of course we would always exercise the water before blessing it, the exorcism before Blessing it, we did the same thing for salt. There are other things that we exercise as well. We even exercise people before they're baptized and then there is the of course the other kind of the rites of exorcism that uh, when people are oppressed by or possessed by the enemy of the soul, the uh, holy church uh, gives certain rites and prayers to priests are authorized to do so to command the devil to leave the person so that person can be free once again from the oppression or possession of the enemy of the soul these things are all very important and the language used is extremely important because the rights really need to reflect what we believe and when we change those rights or change those prayers you eventually, slowly but surely will change our faith because of that reciprocal relationship change our prayer, you change our faith. The older rites express many things which have been lost in the newer forms of the rites, and so we need to have a much broader conversation about what we're doing in our present practices and with our present rites for sacraments and for blessings. I'm always pleased when people leave useful comments on my WDTPRS voicemail. Here's a comment from a listener. Hi, Father Z. My name is Al Boisig. I went to your store
1: and I see that you don't have any, uh, say the black, do the red uh, t-shirts. And that would actually be great. I'd wear one of those. And I'm sure a lot of other people would too, so... Just a humble suggestion in case
0: you had the time. Well, wouldn't you know that I've already filled that gap that Lacuna was taken care of a while back. There are, in fact, now Say the Black, Do the Red shirts available in the little store I created with Cafe Press, and there's a link to that store on the left sidebar of The blog that's WDTPRS.com, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra.com. And you can also find on the left sidebar the donation button, which feel free to use that early and often, and also phone numbers for my voicemail. The US number is 651 314 4554, and the number in the UK is 020-8123-1545. Now, if you call those numbers, don't expect me to answer or call you back, but I do listen to the messages, and it really helps if you keep them short and really quite direct. With that, I'll wrap, wrap this one up. Thanks for listening, and please pray for me as I will for you.